the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Book of Revelation. It's a mystery to most, a challenge for many. How do you interpret it? How do you look at it? How do you approach Revelation? These are questions we will ask today as we begin an introductory look into this amazing last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Join us. It's an overview look as we get started in this marvelous journey through the book of Revelation. Here's Pastor Gary now today's program. As you can imagine, there are all kinds of views on the book of Revelation. And I believe there are several reasons for that. Number one, I believe, is that most people don't know how to read the book in light of how the book itself says it is supposed to be read. And as a result, people impose their preconceived ideas on the book. They twist and manipulate it to say whatever they want it to say, totally unaware of the fact that the book of Revelation begins in the three verses we already read earlier with the principles for interpreting the book. I think there are other reasons, but that is the primary one. So today... We will focus on these three verses. Notice the first thing it says that is so, so important. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's one of the most important principles of interpretation for the whole book. This is a divine revelation from God himself. It bears God's authority, it is infallible, and it does not contradict anything anywhere else in the Bible. It, like the Bible in its entirety and in all of its parts, is the Word of God. And that means that the concluding book or revelation of God's written revelation must be interpreted in light of the books that precede it. Now, one of the problems many people have is that they go straight to the book of Revelation with little or no understanding of the rest of the New Testament or the Old Testament. What they need to do is start at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, not the end. If you want to understand Revelation correctly, You really need to start in Genesis and go through the rest of the Bible working up to Revelation because of the symbols and the figures of speech and the images that are used in the book of Revelation are taken from somewhere previously mentioned in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And that would be a great help for all of you to remember. 
because there are some very weird images in this book. And the more you read, you'll see they are explained previously somewhere in the Bible, especially in the book of Ezekiel. Now, what that also means is that you interpret the book of Revelation just like you interpret the rest of the Bible, which is in studying and teaching the symbols of the Bible, because the less clear passages must be interpreted by the more clear teachings of the Word of God. So you don't start in trying to understand the future with Revelation, say, 20. Revelation 20 is about the millennium, the binding of Satan and various other things, and it is a difficult chapter. So you don't start with reading the book of Revelation to understand the future. You start elsewhere with the clear teachings of the Word of God because you have to have the previous teachings of the Word of God to understand that 20th chapter. Let me give you an example. It says Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years in the 20th chapter. The word bound comes from a Greek word that was used by Jesus in Matthew when he said, My miracles prove that the kingdom of God is at hand, and I have come to break into the bad man's house to bind the bad man that I might steal his goods. And in context, it was Satan who was bound by Jesus 2,000 years ago not in some future millennium. And it is the very same word that is used in Revelation 20. So the point is, you don't start with the difficult passages, and there are several. You start with the clearer passages of the Word of God, and then work your way to the more difficult passages. Now the second thing I would like you to notice is in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. The second thing is, the book of Revelation is prophetic literature. Now, if you get some, most of the commentaries on the book of Revelation today, they will tell you it is an apocalyptic literature. It comes from the word apocalypse, word apocalypse which means Revelation but it refers to a specific kind of literature of the first century. They say it is apocalyptic literature, completely ignoring the fact that the text itself says it's prophecy. It is not apocalyptic literature. No matter what any scholar tells you, Jewish apocalyptic literature in the first century was condemned by the early church councils, councils like Nicaea and Constantinople and Chalcedon and really all the other various councils. It was rejected by the Christian church. So what does apocalyptic literature teach? It teaches that there is going to be a catastrophic breaking in of the end by God to destroy history a catastrophic breaking in so there is no relationship between what happens after the catastrophic termination of the universe and what happened before the termination 
of the universe. Apocalyptic literature has a pessimistic view as well. That before the end, history would be hopelessly dominated by evil. That view did not originate with the Bible. That view originated in the first century with Jewish, non-Christian, apocalyptic literature. Now remember these things. Of course, premillennialism and rapturism incorporate that old Jewish apocalypticism. And what is the whole point of the rapture? Christ is going to come and snatch the Christians out of this life. There's going to be seven years of tribulation, and there is no connection between history and what (coughs) happens after this great catastrophic breaking in of the end. (coughs) And what else do you find in rapturism? The world is going to get progressively worse and worse and hopelessly lost and evil before the second coming of Jesus Christ. They do not get that nonsense from the Bible. There is nothing in the Bible that says anything about the end of the world. Now, in the Old Testament, which they get mixed up with, got worse and worse until Jesus came. But that was the Old Testament. Now those are the traits of apocalyptic literature. There is a catastrophic breaking in of history that destroys everything prior to it and begins a whole new history. And secondly, they have a pessimistic view of that world that it gets worse and worse. Now, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches there is an inseparable connection between the flow of history and the consummation of history. That the history of man, honored by God, is controlled by God, and someday history will be glorified and eternalized at Christ's coming. In other words, Christ is not going to come to discard history. Christ is not going to come to burn up and annihilate and destroy history so that everything prior to the second coming becomes Irrelevant. There is nothing in Scripture that teaches anything even near that. Christ is not coming to discard history, but to rescue it. The Bible teaches that this heaven and this earth will be glorified into the new heavens and new earth in Revelation 21. That the perfect new heavens and new earth in eternity after the second coming of Christ is not another universe. It is this universe, this heaven, and this earth perfected at the second coming of Christ. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that for several reasons. But one we'll look at today, which is because of the word new there. There are two Greek words for new. One word new means never having been in existence before. The word for new means also renewed or rejuvenated or retooled. And the word for new heavens and new earth is not in this text 
the first word, which means a heaven and earth that wasn't in existence before. It is the second word, renewed. So the new heaven and new earth that will be perfected at the second coming of Christ will be this heaven and this earth renewed by Christ's second coming. So there is no discarding of history. In the biblical view of history, there is a constant defeat of evil in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a progressive and continual destruction of evil as the kingdom of God advances over all of the world. And then at the end of time, there will not be an annihilation. There is going to be a consummation, beloved and a perfecting and finishing of the triumph of God's people over evil. All these are traits of prophecy, not apocalyptic literature. Prophecy keeps together the flow of history until the end of history. Prophecy speaks of an accomplished defeat of evil, a progressive defeat of evil, and a final and perfected defeat of evil. And also... Biblical prophecy insists on ethical considerations. In the Old Testament, as well as here in this prophetic book in the New Testament, prophecy is for the purpose of causing people to behave in a certain way, to repent, to believe, to persevere in faithfulness, no matter how difficult a situation becomes. Apocalyptic literature has no ethical implications. It only satisfies your curiosity. You learn all the stuff about the destruction of the earth and things that will lead up to it, and you just say, so? I'm not going to be here when there's the rapture anyway. So? But you see... Prophecy has ethical implications. That is the difference between it and apocalyptic literature. The second principle of interpretation is that the book of Revelation is not apocalyptic literature. It is prophecy. The third principle, and boy how important this is. The book of Revelation says that it is highly figurative. Look in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things that must shortly, shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by an angel to his bondservant, John. Now, I think the King James Version has a better word there than communication. It says, signify. Now, I want to pronounce the word signified incorrectly that you'll get the point of this word. The word is signified. The Greek word means to write and communicate in visible signs and images and figures of speech. So when he says he communicated to John, he is saying that this revelation that I am giving you, John, is highly figurative. It is full of metaphors and similes and figures of speech of all kinds and symbolic images. It is highly figurative. Someone referred to the book of 
Revelation as God's great picture book at the end of the Bible. And someone else said that it is a book of scriptural cartoons, pictorial presentations of divine truth as it applies to human history. Therefore, we must always ask two questions when interpreting the figures in this book. What is the picture and what does the picture mean? So when he says this is a signified, communicated, it means that this book is written in symbols and signs and figures. Now what that means then is the popular statement that revelation must be taken literally is an unbiblical principle of interpretation. When someone says to interpret it correctly, you need to do so literally. That is an unbiblical principle because the very first verse says it is not to be taken literally. It is written in signs and symbols. And besides, I don't know of anyone who says that we must take the Bible literally, including Revelation, who actually do take it literally. Let me give you one example. Bible says that in the Trinity, you have God the Father, the Son, who is the Lamb of God, and the seven spirits before the throne. Well, I don't know of anyone except that good old boy, Benny Hinn, who thinks there are nine persons in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the seven spirits before the throne. And yet the phrase seven spirits does refer to the Holy Spirit, as we shall see later on. But you see, you can't take that seven literally, or you wind up a heretic. And besides that, it contradicts the very principle we have here. That every word in the book of Revelation is true. Every sentence is true. To say that we don't take the book literally is not to say we don't take it truly. But when it comes to scripture and a proper understanding of the Bible, the various parts must be understood in terms of their literary form. In the Bible, you've got historical narrative You've got poetry, you've got parables, and you've got prophecy. There are all kinds of literary forms, and it all depends on the literary genre, how you interpret it. When it comes to poetry, you don't take it literally, particularly Hebrew poetry that's full of imagery. Hebrew poetry says that God shall cover us with his feathers. Now, I don't know, really, of anyone who believes that God has feathers. And, and, and the point is, the writer is not saying that God has wings. That is a highly figurative statement to make a powerful point. And so it is with the book of Revelation. And most of the figures of speech and concepts in the book of Revelation are taken from earlier sections of the Bible. Things like lampstands, lambs, all of those Old Testament concepts, including the description 
of the new Jerusalem in, a Revel in Revelation 20. And you can go to the book of Ezekiel uh, when you have the time, and you'll see most of it there in the first 10 chapters. That is the building of the description of the new Jerusalem. So, when you come to read the book of Revelation, do not, do not read it literally as you would read historical narrative. Read it as if it is written in figures of speech. Powerful, powerful, vivid pictures, figures of speech. The next biblical principle is the historical time frame. When was the book of Revelation written? And what is the focus historically of the book? Let's look again at verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified or bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heeds the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, there you have two statements that tell us about the historical time frame of the book of Revelation being in the first century. If you were to get a letter from me, like these seven churches in Asian Minor, as they got the book of Revelation, and I was to say in this letter to you, I'm going to talk to you about things that will shortly take place. So listen very carefully, because the time is near. What would you think I was saying? Would you think I was saying, now, what you, I want you to listen very carefully because I'm going to be writing about things that most certainly will take place about two or, two or three thousand years from now. The end is near at least five thousand years from now. No, if I were to write the words, I'm going to talk to you about things that will shortly take place because the time is near you would assume that I'm talking about things that you and your generation are going to see, or else those words mean absolutely nothing. So this book was written in the first century to a group of people in the first century, and it says to, and it says to you people in Asia Minor, I'm going to write about things that will shortly take place. So from the very beginning, we should ask the question, what does this mean to us today? No, that's not the question we need to ask. That is the wrong question to ask when you and I study Scripture. When you study Scripture, the first question you should ask is, what did this mean to the person who wrote it and to the people who received it? And having started there, then you work forward to yourself. So the contents of the book of Revelation, that is the prophecy of Revelation, in some way must relate to the people who lived in the first century A.D. I hope you see I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you what the text says, beloved. Things that must shortly take place, for the time is near. So that means we should ask the book of Revelation questions like this. 
What did these figures of speech mean to the first century reader? When these churches in Asia Minor read these words, these figures of speech, how did they understand them? And how were these figures of speech fulfilled in their lifetime before we figure out how they will be fulfilled in our lifetime? Now, you and I, as conservative Christians, politically, believe in the doctrine of original intent when it comes to the Constitution. We only want judges on the federal bench who will interpret the Constitution according to the original intent of those who wrote the Constitution and not judges who will make the Constitution say whatever they want it to say. Well, the doctrine of original intent does not only apply to our Constitution, it applies to any historical document. The only way to honestly understand any document out of past history is to understand it according to the original intent of those who wrote it and those who received it. And what is the original intent of John, the author of Revelation? I'm going to write to you about things that will shortly take place because the time is near. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.